Hello, Galactic Castaways. This is Alpha Control, the podcast about Irwin Allen's classic sci-fi adventure TV series, Lost in Space. I am your mission controller for this podcast, Colonel Lane August, and I'm joined by my trusty co-controller, Dr. Kurt Kersteiner. Kurt and I are old college chums, children of the 1960s, and most importantly, big fans of Lost in Space. Welcome aboard as we blast off together to celebrate Erwin Allen's Lost in Space. Now, let's get ready to launch. Welcome back, folks, for a special episode of Alpha Control, a Lost in Space podcast. Today, I'm flying the Jupiter 2 solo without my trusty co-host, Kurt, but that's because we have a very special guest interview, Angela Cartwright. Well known to fans as the lovely actress who played Penny Robinson on the classic series, Miss Cartwright has led a charmed life before, during, and after her time spent lost in space. Born in Cheshire, England, Angela moved with her family to Los Angeles, California, and started her acting career at the tender age of three, playing Paul Newman's daughter in the movie Somebody Up There Likes Me. In 1957, at the age of four, she was cast to play Danny's daughter Linda Williams on The Danny Thomas Show, and wound up appearing in seven seasons of the hit television series. Next came a spot in motion picture history when Angela was cast as Brigitte von Trapp in the legendary 1965 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical The Sound of Music, which starred Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer and became the number one movie of that year, winning five Academy Awards and featured a soundtrack that went to number one in the charts. Having secured a place in movie history, she next won a role that ensured her lifelong fame in TV history when she was cast as the Robinson's sensitive and inquisitive middle child Penny on Lost in Space. During her three seasons on the show, Angela's character was featured in some of the more atmospheric and whimsical episodes, which explored deeper themes of growing up under fantastic circumstances. She also got the pleasure of being the keeper of the series' delightful pet, Debbie the Bloop. After the show ended, Angela continued to act in numerous television shows, commercials, and movies in what would eventually become her over six-decade career in show business. In addition to her career as a performer, Angela has had a lifelong passion for art and photography. That calling led her to pursue a second career as an artist, as well as a jewelry and clothing designer, eventually establishing her own art studio, which can be explored online at AngelaCartwrightStudio.com. Angela is also a published author, with titles that include her award-winning coffee table book, Styling the Stars, Lost Treasures from the 20th Century Fox Archive, her art books, Mixed Emulsions, In This House, and In This Garden. She also conceived and collaborated on the Sound of Music family scrapbook, along with her fellow Von Trapp siblings. In addition, Angela and her Lost in Space co-star, Bill Moomy, collaborated on two books. The first is a pictorial memoir, Lost and Found in Space, which recollects their personal memories of the show through words, photographs, and unique illustrations. Their latest book, On Purpose, is a fantasy adventure novel for young adults that includes 23 of her illustrations. When not creating at home, Angela has traveled the world teaching her art techniques and led special trips to Salzburg, Austria, sharing her Sound of Music experiences. 
With all that on her plate, somehow along the way, Angela found time to marry, raise two children, and is today a grandmother of three. Now get ready to enjoy this delightful interview with the vivacious and beautiful Angela Cartwright. Angela Cartwright, welcome to Alpha Control. It is a pleasure to have you on our podcast celebrating Erwin Allen's original Lost in Space. Hi. It's nice to be able to do it from Earth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You don't have to get lost, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, um, I just want to say again, it was really great to meet you in person a few weeks ago at that New England Super Megafest Comic Con. That was a new experience for me, but I could tell you really enjoyed interacting with your fans there. Yeah, it's great to uh, to see how a show done so many years ago still affects people to this day. They've all got stories, and uh, yeah, it's fun to meet the fans. Wow. Yeah. And it still plays, so, you know, it's it's almost like it's current. Exactly. And it's uh, it's probably even better than the original, what with the Blu-rays and everything. <laughs> oh, exactly. They've done such a beautiful job with making those colors pop. And, you know, it was I think it was real foresight for Irwin, but also the designer like Paul Zastupnovich, who did all the wardrobe and stuff like that, he had such foresight to how to really make that color come to life. Because our first season was black and white, as you well know. And the second season, you know, we had to compete with Batman. So I think he really made it happen. And now they've just, you know, touched it all up and looks amazing. Oh, it really does. Well, we're going to get a little bit more into Lost in Space, but I wanted to roll the clock back if we could. Could you just give our listeners a brief overview how you got into show business to begin with? Because you started off at a very young age. Yeah, I guess three is kind of young. <laughs> um, totally by accident, because um, I was born in England, hmm. and my mom and dad, they dreamed of coming to America. So my sister, Veronica, and myself and my parents we got on a boat and immigrated to Canada, and my dad worked there for a year, and we were sponsored in. I find that so adventurous when I think of it. I never really thought of my mom as like this big adventurer, but, you know, to go to a new country, she, you know, had a lot of memories, I think, from the war. Uh, she was a nurse mm. during the war, and, um, you know, my dad was in the Royal Air Force, for six years. And I think, you know, coming to America was just a dream they had. And to think of these young people with this young family coming and immigrating here and making a life for themselves. And our next door neighbor, we moved to a place called El Segundo, um, which was by the beach, mm. which my mother always loved the beach. And our next door neighbor had a child that was in commercials and an agent and I guess she was kind of friendly with the agent who was looking for other people because there was a big calling for young child actors. You know, this is so many years ago. Right. Now there's just a inflood. But uh, at that time, I don't know what made my mom say, okay. And she took us to see Hazel McMillan. And she took us on, both Veronica and myself. And we started working immediately. So it was kind of a fate and I started with a Sparklets commercial. Veronica did a Kellogg's commercial. Mm. And then I did two movies, one as Paul Newman's daughter in Somebody Up There Likes Me. Right. And Rock Hudson, I think I'm his daughter, I can't remember, but Sidney Poitier stabs me to death mm. in uh, Something of Value. 
and I was only three. And then I got the Danny Thomas show, and that went for seven years. And yeah. that's how it all began. Wow. I mean, you know, talk about living the dream, you know, just moving to another country is an adventure enough. But then, you know, to get your kids involved in show business, because as you mentioned, both you and Veronica got into it at an early age, that that had to blow. <laughs> your mom must have been overwhelmed with that. <laughs> My mom and dad, and they've recently, my mom passed away three years ago, but my dad just passed last year. And I think they were always just so kind of grateful and just in awe of our lives. Mm. They were, it was a very unusual life. Um, and I think it's like listening to your dreams. If you dream something, you can make it happen. And they sure, you know, I, I don't think they were dreaming of a life in show business, but they were dreaming for a better life. Right. And they came to America to have that. Oh, man, that's interesting. Well, what was it like uh, working on the Danny Thomas show? I think you were in like 200 episodes of that show. Hey, all my kitties are here tonight, my lovely wife, as you can see. And it's kind of a special day. It happens to be our baby Linda's birthday. Yeah, that was with the days when we didn't just do like five episodes, like yeah. Game of Thrones or something. We did 26 episodes a year. I was on it seven years, whatever that works out to be. You know, it was done live in front of a live audience. Wow. Say hello, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Are you nervous? No. Uh, of course, she isn't nervous. You know, she, she's been on a stage before. A couple weeks ago, she was in a second grade play. She had the lead, played a buttercup. Every episode, every week. So it was like doing a play. And working with Danny, he really taught me everything I knew about comedy, timing, listening to the audience, because every audience was different. It was not a laugh track. It was live. Mm. And we only did it once. Very, very rarely, I can maybe remember three or four times, did they do like a reverse shot, you know, or redo something. did it once and that was it it was a great experience danny was everything that my family was not you know he was he was loud he was very <laughs> gregarious you know he was just very different you know my parents were kind of teetotaler very proper but yeah. not stuffy they were you know just a quieter humbler right. <laughs> family that i grew up in you know, where I had to make my bed every morning and clean away the dishes, you know. Just because I was on television didn't mean that I had, you know, all these other things that just got taken care of. And I appreciate that to this day. I raise my kids the same way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that we have responsibilities and we need to do them. Yeah. But, you know, he was a great comic influence, I think, you know, and he brought all these other comics. It was kind of a rat-packy kind of group. You know, they were comedians in Vegas, and then he did this show, and we were on Desi Lulat with Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, and then there was Joey Bishop and Andy Griffith, and, you know, it, it was just such a cool time on Desi Lulat, you know, which doesn't even exist anymore, but I remember it so well, because my whole childhood was there. Sure. That's amazing.
that wasn't enough, after you did the Danny Thomas show, next up was getting cast to be in The Sound of Music. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, that was really amazing. Um, Danny decided that after he had been on the air 11 years, that he wanted to pursue production and other things because he had all these shows he was doing. So he decided to end the show. And I went on an interview just for another part. And it was this part in The Sound of Music. Actually, I read for two parts. I read for Louisa and also Brigitte. Mm. And I, I also did it in a blonde wig and a dark wig. I'm Brigitte. I'm nine years old and very, very difficult. Oh, really? And who told you that, Brigitte? Fräulein Josephine, four governesses ago. Well, I'm sure she was mistaken. She was telling the truth. And I think your dress is the ugliest one I ever saw. You shouldn't say that, Brigitte. Why not? Don't you think it's ugly? You mean you don't know anything about being a governess? Nothing. I need lots of advice. Well... The best way to start is to be sure to tell Father to mind his own business. You must never come to dinner on time, always blow your nose at the table, and never eat your soup quietly. And I got that part. I was the first one cast. You know, it, it's just kind of like a dream. Mm. Everyone dreams of being in a movie that is everlasting over 50 years. Oh, man. You know, everybody loves that movie. They still watch it. It's just as powerful today as it was when it, well, actually, it opened not to great reviews, but people loved it. You know, and it's certainly been around for a long, long time. Fabulous music. There's a sad sort of clanging from the clock in the hall And the bells in the steeple too And up in the nursery an absurd little bird Is popping out to say cuckoo Cuckoo, cuckoo Regretfully cuckoo, they tell us But firmly cuckoo, they compel us to say goodbye To Fabulous casting, I think. Every time I see Christopher Plummer in it, I just go, wow, he was so good in that movie. I mean, and Julie, of course, was wonderful in that part. But, you know, she was upcoming. She had just done Mary Poppins, but she hadn't really been seen. You know, Robert Wise just had this kind of magical insight to what would work. And it works in that movie. Oh, it sure does. And I was tooling around on your uh, various websites. You have a beautiful page devoted to the sound of music, and there's so much great information there, but you have some great behind-the-scenes photographs. One of the things I learned, Angela, was that was a one-year production. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, from the time they cast us to the uh, choreography, uh, learning that. uh, They did, like, faux sets of the stairs. Um, We practiced every single day. We went to school on the lot. We did the recordings with the orchestra. You know, those were the days when you did everything kind of live. Um, And when we went to Austria, I think we were supposed to be there six weeks. We ended up being there three months because it rained. And you can't really have do re me with rain. Mm -hmm. You know, that was such a adventurous whole sequence. It was really the first music video ever seen to be changing locations for every lyric in the the song. Right. Yeah. That really was so amazing, I think. You know, we'd go to a location and we'd just sing one verse. 
but it would be a whole day set up. Right. I love Salzburg. I love Austria. To this day, everything looks just about the same, <laughs> except there are toilets everywhere now. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it really is quite an amazing city with a lot of, of great energy in it. It's beautiful. Um, and I do a tour of Salzburg with my behind-the-scenes Sound of Music memories. And I take people on this tour. And I think in 2019, I think I'm going to be doing it at the end of November so we can do the Christmas markets. Oh, that'll be great. There yeah. in Salzburg. Yeah. yeah. And it's really a fun trip. I've done it a couple times already. I love doing it. Well, I was going to mention Sound of Music is still part of your life. Not only the tours, which are great. I'm assuming we can all find out information about that on your website as well. Yeah. You collaborated on a book with some of the other cast members, I believe, a scrapbook about Sound of Music? Yeah, actually, um, boy, it's been about eight years now. We did. Actually, it was an, an idea, because I'm like a scrapbook kind of memory person. And uh, I actually came up with the idea of doing this book, gathering everybody's own memories about it, and putting it into a book. And it's actually almost out of print now. I have just a few. We're hoping that they pick it up again because it seems to be an everlasting book. And it's really good. You know, it, it's got our stories, the kids' stories of their view, not someone else's view of sure. The Sound of Music. There have been those books. Right. So, yeah, I'm kind of like into remembering stuff. So long. That's great. No, it's, it's and I've fun. written several books about that, different yeah. different ones. Yeah. Well, and then uh, I also noticed on your website there's a Sound of Music sing-along that goes on out there in the, the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, you know, every year my kids love it. They're in their 30s, but they absolutely love that evening. And we go and watch the movie and, you know, just it, it's it's really a gathering of hearts that are all in the same place. Everybody sings. Everybody knows every lyric to uh, the songs, of course. Of course. And it, there is just something about it when everybody raises their voices all together. So in a way, it's very magical. They do it in other places, too. But every year, I try to go to the one at the Hollywood Bowl. And, you know, either Kim or Debbie will go and, you know, go on stage and you know, say hi to everybody, and that's always fun to do. But it, that's a lovely evening. Uh, it really is. That's great. Well, i got to get out there and do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> it really does. It so, is fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually in September, I think. Yeah. Well, let's talk just a little bit about your art. When did you start getting into that, and how? Well, I always loved art. I always looked forward to it when I was a kid. But my dad was a technical artist. And uh, he also had a photography hobby. And so I learned in the darkroom how to develop pictures. And we set up a studio. And I would entice my friends to model for me. And I would just feed them pizza. I mean, it was just a really great thing for me when I was like a young teen. I loved taking pictures. And, you know, these were analog film pictures. I continued to do that, and I started to shoot kind of vistas and views and stuff like that. And then I started to hand paint them. I had become a fan of William Nuttings, who was someone who hand painted photography. Mm. And I just started doing that. 
And then that led to doing all sorts of things. I'm really into mixed media. I've done three books about art and art techniques. Mixed emulsions is one you can get it on Amazon. And, you know, it just is never ending. And it just makes me happy to work through whatever I'm going through in my art. It's beautiful. And I encourage everybody to take a look at your Angela Cartwright Studio website. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Lost in Space star Angela Cartwright as much as I am. She's got more to share about her acting career and other creative passions, as well as, of course, Lost in Space. So sit tight for part two of our interview with Angela Cartwright. Show business, art, and then also an author, you know, because he started writing books on art as well as other subjects. One of the books that I really want to get, because just reading the reviews and so forth, is Styling the Stars. Yeah. I guess the photography aspect sort of was an entry point to doing that book. You did that with Tom McLaren, I think. Is that right? I did. What happened was um, when we were doing the Sound of Music Family scrapbook, we were allowed a certain amount of professional 20th Century Fox photographs, press photographs. So I was, you know, I'm out here and I was kind of the likely candidate. So I went into the archives at 20th Fox. And as I'm going through these boxes and boxes of photos, of course, I was in heaven. That to me was just amazing to see all these amazing photos. I realized that there are all these um, continuity photos of everybody that was in the movie you know, once you're dressed and everything, they take a continuity photo of you. In those days, in the 60s, they would take it with a big analog camera, like a two and a quarter camera. And the quality, of course, was amazing. Now they do it digitally. But I woke up one night, I had like this dream or this vision. And I woke up and I went, wow, every single production I've ever been on, they have always shot these photos. They shoot them of every single person that's ever in a movie so that wardrobe and hair can be matched from scene to scene. Hmm. And I bet there are all these others because there were a ton of Julie and Chris in every single costume that they were in. And I had this vision of doing this book with these photos, these continuity photos that no one was ever meant to see sure. because they were behind the scenes. And I got complete access to the 20th Fox archives. I worked with the archivist there, Jeff Thompson. And I realized I got to get somebody in here who loves the movies, but can help me keep this all in order. And that was when Tom McLaren just uh, was like the perfect person. He's an actor, but now he was between jobs and he was studying to be an actor. And uh, he had been an accountant and he loved movies Mm. and he was a big fan of the movies. So he really, really was a tremendous help. And so I put this book together, and it is so beautiful, some of these photographs. And you really see the personalities of the different stars. You know, everybody's got their own personality. And it comes through. It's like some are bored. You know, Paul Newman's cracking up in every picture or pulling faces. Um, You know, and it's every star from the 30s. 
That's amazing. So it, it's even though it's there was a coffee table version that was fantastic, but they now have come out with the soft cover nine by twelve, and it is it's beautiful. the The photographs just translate gorgeous. Well, we're and def- that you can get on Amazon too. Oh, great. Well, we'll definitely link to that as well. So that's beautiful. I appreciate it. Or I can find a a book plate, too, that can go in it. That's a great holiday gift, by the way, because if you love photography, fashion, you know, art of any sort, movies, that's a great gift. I'm just being a little elf now. Yes, yes. (laughs) Put that under your tree. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I better start talking about Lost in Space. I can hear my listeners squawking to me. Hey, when are you <laughs> yeah, going, going to talk about... wait. <laughs> right. Isn't this the Lost in Space podcast? Hey, you... All right. Yeah, we Let's talk, talk about, about it. That's great. Well, I've got your other book that you wrote with Bill Mooney that's uh, Lost and Found in Space, which is great. This It's uh, photographs and illustrations. It's your retrospective, you and Bill's retrospective on your experience. And it's obvious this is a, a labor of love here, and it's so great. And one of the things I just want to ask you, on the back cover, there's this little... It looks like a business card, but it's got a handwritten script on it. It says, see you in outer space, love. And it looks like it's Irwin Allen's signature. Am I reading that? Tell me about that. Well, that was just a card that he gave me when um, we started production. It was just in my dressing room. Oh, man. Um, My mom, you know, saved a lot of the memories and uh, a lot of clippings and stuff like that. And so that was what that was. That was a card from Irwin Allen. There's a, you know, that kind of came out of Styling the Stars because Bill loved Styling the Stars. And we started talking about how Kevin Burns has kept all the, you know, photographs from all of Irwin's things, but especially from Lost in Space. He's been our biggest supporter and kept it so alive over Mm, the years. Absolutely. Um, And so, you know, we asked him and he said, yeah. I've got a million pictures. Come in, look at them. Well, there were many, many, many that we had never seen. And what happened was, as Bill and I are looking through all these photographs, we started to remember things. It's like going through your old yearbook with somebody, and all these memories are coming up, and we're like, wait a minute. Let's write this stuff down. This is good stuff. And that's exactly what we did, and we just we did it and Bill and I work really well together. We had written another book that I think we'll talk about in a minute, but you know, we have a good back and forth and he's so creative in, you know, his thoughts and stuff. And so anyway, that's how that came about. We, we just kind of spilled it out on the page and uh, that's what our thoughts were. Well, I'm guessing most of my listeners already have this book, but if you don't, fans, get out there and buy it because it's, it's awesome. How'd you wind up getting the part for Penny Robinson? Was that uh, another audition experience? or It was. I was on the lot. They kept me on the lot after um, Sound of Music. And it was an interview that I went on, but actually Irwin Allen had asked to meet me. But when I walked in, he said, oh, God, I'm so glad you're the age you are. I thought you'd come in smoking a cigar. <laughs> How weird is that, that he said that? But I think he was like mixing me up with Danny Thomas. I don't know. <laughs> I I could really understand how he couldn't quite figure out how old I was, you know, because I think he had watched Danny Thomas as well. So, you know, he didn't quite know, hmm, am I like an adult now or am yeah. I a teenager? So that's how that came about. Bill was there. I was reading Black Beauty. He remembers that. I didn't remember that. But um, I had met him in the office of uh, Irwin's. And, you know, I got cast right away. So 
that was just meant to be. And that's another iconic show that has, you know, resonated with the fans because so many people were interested in space at the time. The idea of a family actually going and living in space, I think, really was amazing to people. And it was family-oriented, great music. It visually looked really great. And I think it really captured people's imaginations. Well, it certainly did. And, and as we've been reviewing the episodes, we have found so many things that were influenced by Lost in Space. Maybe they don't get recognized as such, but there's so many things. I mean, actual scenes from Lost in Space episodes or technology that other later science fiction shows and movies have borrowed from. So you certainly were on the leading edge. Oh, exactly. The character of Penny Robinson is so special, though. Did you know a lot about the character right off the bat? Did they sort of give you a the Penny Robinson Bible or something like that? No. No, I, you know, I created Penny just out of... Um, what I did know about her was she loved animals. She was supposed to be a zoologist. You know, she was adventurous, much braver than I am to go up in space. I think she was, you know, frustrated in a lot of ways. Like the idea of being in space was great, but then, you know, it was just like, oh, God, is this all there is? You know, I, I want to meet people. I want to be a teenager. This is something they have really touched on in the Netflix show. And, of course, you know, dialogue is so much freer now that we're in the, you know, 21st century. She, uh, Mina, who plays Penny, has really had some sassy lines, which I just love because that is the essence of Penny. And, you know, I could only go so far in those days. Sure. And I had to read, of course, what was in the script. But, you know, when they changed it with Jonathan and then there were these adventures with the kids... I really think people love that. And they, they just, you know, a lot of people tell me that they were, you know, growing up, they were Penny and their brother was Will, right. um, you know, because it just, it, it really reached them. It did. It did. Well, just real quick here, I solicited a few questions from our listeners on the Facebook page, and these are kind of quick answer questions. Let me just ask you a, a few of these. Did you, have a, did you have a favorite costume? Because you change costumes, I think, every season. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, the first spacesuit, which was, you know, made of cardboard, was the most uncomfortable. Mm. The spacesuit um, in the next year, NASA had developed the um, race car driving material. So that was much more comfortable, but it was also very warm. So my favorite was probably the third season yeah. <laughs> um, because it was, you know, flirty and short and it was very mini-ish. <laughs> yes. I like that one, though. With the boots. I love the boots. That's what, you know, I have a uh, action figure out, a Penny Robin action figure. You can get that on my, my website. I sign the stand and the box, if you like. That's AngelaCartwrightStudio.com. Um, she is... Awesome. I just yeah. love the way they interpreted her. It's so um, realistic. And she's wearing that costume. Yeah. And and I've got a bloop. And a bloop. Oh, Debbie. Yeah. Deb, everybody yeah. loves Debbie. That had to be fun. <laughs> Having De She was yeah. sweet, right? Yeah. Debbie, I, I love Debbie. She, you know, she had to wear that hat, bloopish ears. And I know that, you know, that was annoying to her for the long days. But she was a very sweet chimp, and she worked. Uh, she was also the face for Planet of the Apes, and she went on to have another career after that. So, 
you know, what was the name of that other show that she was in? It was uh, Daktari. Daktari, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she had a long career. Afterwards, she was very sweet. I, yeah. I loved Debbie. And I loved having an animal that I, you know, was part of my character. That was cool. Now it's a chicken. But, yeah. in, <laughs> which was, I think is such a strange choice. But that's all right. Yeah. It's, it's a new series and they can do what they want. <laughs> Did you um, have any issues with the way that, that the series sort of evolved? You know, you were competing with Batman, as you mentioned, or was that something that you kind of embraced as you went along? You know, as a kid, I, I don't think it affected me that much. You know, as an adult, um, they probably looked at it in a different way. For me, I just went to work every day and, you know, I got to be on a set and I just did my lines and did my bit. And I loved Jonathan. He was so much fun to work with. He was a riot. You know, he created such a character out of, you know, something that was really supposed to only be in one episode. Yeah, he really did. Did you watch the series? Would you watch it at home (laughs) when it was on the air? Yeah, I think we watched it um, every, you know, Wednesday night, I think, at 7 o'clock or whatever it was. Yeah, um, yeah we did. We we tuned in and watched that, and we also watched Ed Sullivan every Sunday. Uh, favorite... Those are the only two I remember, though. <laughs> uh, we well, didn't I... even have a TV when the Danny Thomas show started. <laughs> we came to America. I think my parents thought, oh, I think we need to buy a television yeah. if, if our daughter's going to be on it. Sure, you better. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, because I do know some actors... They don't like to watch themselves uh, on TV, but I, I kind of think I would have a hard time resisting that. I um, think it's easier when you're younger. Yeah. People are too critical of themselves. Yes. That's <laughs> favorite episode? My friend, Mr. Nobody. And besides, I still can't see you. I don't even know who you are. I don't know who I am. What? Oh, but that must be awful. Maybe you've been asleep or, or growing up or, or, or changing. I don't know yet. Well, why don't you try to find out? Do you know what my brother calls you? He says you're nobody. Because I can't tell him you're somebody. If you just... Is that a name? Like Penny? Of... Of course. But you could try to be Mr. Nobody, couldn't you? If you just let me see a little bit of you. I don't know how. But try. You just can't stay down here until you die. What is die? Well, I I don't think I'm exactly sure myself. But when... Someone can't speak anymore. Or when someone can't move anymore. Like before you can remember, maybe. Yeah, that's a beautiful episode. It's so. I, I think it is. It's so noir. It's just so dramatic. And I love the black and white. It, it was really, really a cool episode. Yeah, it was. Um, and I love the message. Yeah. Did it surprise you guys when you were canceled? Because you were doing very well in the ratings, uh, even in the third season there. Was that, uh, or were you expecting we were, that? Yes. We were, I, we all thought we were coming back for a fourth year. And we were shocked because we hadn't said goodbye to anybody. Right. Um, we didn't know. The word is that they didn't have the scripts prepared. 
you know, you never know what goes on in the, in the big tower, you know? Right. Um, that was a story that I heard that, you know, they canceled them because they didn't have the, the stories for the network to see or whatever. But who knows? It could be anything. You know, sometimes we all wonder, why would they cancel this show? It's so good. And no one knows. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's it's like a big crazy world out there um, in showbiz. It is, but you know, it lives on, as you said. Now we've got the Netflix thing, and you guys. I could just tell seeing you guys at the Megafest, uh, the four of you, you've remained close over the years, and that's a beautiful thing to see. That really is like a second family. It seems like it does. I've been very, very fortunate between Lost in Space and The Sound of Music, I mean, which is my other faux family. You know, I love those people. I love them to death. And, you know, to see Mark, who lives on the other coast, is is quite lovely whenever we see each other. He was such a wonderful character. He was just kind of like a little, you know, mischievous boy. Uh, Loved Mark. Um, And Marta is just a sweetheart. And Bill, you know, I've just been working with Bill. He's been a friend of mine all these years. So, yes, it's amazing to stay in touch like that. And even June, I mean, I talk to her every year, um, and she's doing well. But she doesn't, you know, go out to these things. They're they're kind of exhausting. Oh, gosh, I can. (laughs) I I don't think I could run that gauntlet. But, gosh, you guys were so sweet and vivacious and and just uh, very, very nice dealing with all the people that are there to get your autograph. But, uh, all right, we're running long here, so I want to get on purpose. Tell us about this project. I think that was a long time in the making, wasn't it? It was. uh, On Purpose was an idea that we had about a, a story that took place on three realms, I was kind of, you know, in my life, my kids were grown, and I was like going, okay, now what's my purpose in life? And, uh, you know, I would talk to Bill about it, and we both wrote this story, uh, and it takes place in fairy, man's world, and hell. And it's a story of good and evil and stolen imaginations, and um, it's quite a tale. It, It really weaves its way very well, I think. But what happened was we wrote this, we finished it, and we were about to put it out, get it published, and a little book called Harry Potter came along. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And we went, oh, you know, it's fantasy adventure. I think we should wait. I think, you know, we'll let that one die out. (laughs) Ha ha. Well, it's been 20 years, so a little over 20 years. And, you know, now we're ready to release this. The story's still very powerful and still very important for people. You know, people to find, what am I doing? What, you know, I've got a purpose in life. I need to find that. And, you know, it's um, it's kind of a cool story. So Bill and I put it out. And we have a, uh, a mega book, which has his music. He wrote 27 original songs, uh, soundtrack. I don't know. It came out of nowhere. He oh. wrote that. I did 23 illustrations, and that's also in that uh, deluxe version. And that's a color kind of corridor of characters. And uh, we, you know, sign it, and it comes in a little tote, and there's like a map of fairy. It's it's kind of got this deluxe version. But you can also get it on Kindle, and you can also get just the uh, novel itself. 
Oh, it looks great. And and wow, it's not just a book, but the music. And Bill's so talented with that and your art and everything. And oh, it's I, cool music, too. Oh, it's, yeah. It's really cool. Well, it's on it's my, a cool soundtrack. <laughs> it's on my Christmas list. And I again, I saw on your... Uh, I saw on your website, you've got the book, you've got the illustrations, jewelry, clothing, fragrance, tote bags. You've, I mean, you've got it all there. It's amazing. Yeah, I just, you know, these are things I love. I, I love doing my art. I do little pieces. I, I also have my big, you know, um, hand-painted photos on there. I'm going to be putting more on as I'm, I'm going through them all and, and gathering them. I used to be in a gallery that I used to to run. It was a black-and-white photography gallery. And they they left and and retired. So I need to to go through all my artwork. But you know, it's these are things I love, and I I just put them all out there. And that's the shop, AngelaCartwrightStudio.com. But my showbiz life is Angela-Cartwright.com, and my art site's AcartwrightStudio.com. You can get to them all from that main Angela-Cartwright one. Well, we also, will. I'm on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. That's that's fun because I love photography. So hmm. I've always got that stuff on there. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes for this episode. What a fabulous life and career you've had. All these experiences starring in two iconic TV series and perhaps the most iconic big screen musical of all time. And the adventure continues with your art, your writing. You must feel very blessed, Angela. Oh, I do. Every day I, I feel very blessed. Um, by just the people around me and, and the life that I've been able to live so far. Gosh, that's great. But there's more to do. There's more to do. And, <laughs> I don't uh, know what it is, but yeah. I'm open to it. Well, anything else coming up next for you that our listeners should look out for or keeping that close to the vest for right now? Well, um, yeah, there is something, but I, I have been, uh, I can't say anything about it yet. Ooh. But if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you will certainly learn about it as soon as I can say something. Um, and it's cool, and your fans are going to love it. I have a feeling. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> say no more. So, well, thank you so much, Angela, for joining us today. You've been so generous with your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, and I know it's going to be a treat for our listeners. We'll link to all your websites, and great. It's just been so much fun for me, and it's been a great honor to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Thank you, and thanks to all the fans that keep us going. Thanks. All right. All righty. That was such a thrill speaking with Angela Cartwright. She's so full of life and fun, and her stories are really engaging. If you ever have the chance to meet her in person, you won't forget it. In the meantime, stay tuned for another episode of Alpha Control, where Kurt and I will get back to reviewing our beloved, original, Lost in Space. Until then, take care, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, fellow Galactic Castaways, for listening to the Alpha Control Podcast. Please leave your comments or questions on our Facebook page, Twitter, or email us at alphacontrolpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast via libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com or through iTunes. If you like the show, please leave us a review as well. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week, same time, same channel.